It's not calling you Josh Frydenberg, it's calling you Dosh Frydenberg. Under the coalition, taxes for hard-working Australians will always be lower. Welcome to the Two Jacks election coverage, hard hats and high vis. Hong Kong Jack, aptly named as he's a resident in Hong Kong. He's with me today. G'day Jack, how are you? G'day, Jack. Have you got the plague yet? You see, Hong Kong is beset with, I think it's the fifth wave uh, of COVID. You're you, you plagueless. Well, I haven't had given myself a test. Uh, we are going to have uh, are going to have voluntary at-home testing this week, um, uh, and like a lot of people, I don't I don't think I'll trouble the testing. Yeah, <laughs> fair <laughs> enough. You you may not pass an AFL. COVID protocol, but you'll be okay. You'll be able, able to hang around uh, long enough to, to to get us through this election campaign. Now, I'm Jack the Insider, Peter Hoisted to my mum, and, and we two Jacks are veterans of election campaigns, and we call in this podcast Hard Hats and High Viz because that's what election campaigns have become. Every day you'll see Scotty and Elbow and the gear, they'll be doing a bit of welding badly or shampooing some poor Sheila's head badly and the media will dutifully cover it as if every moment to trivial or otherwise somehow matters we're here to tell you the trivial matters don't matter and on hard hats and high vis we'll steer clear of the tedious day-to-day and give you the full picture the hard numbers and take the piss out of the poorly rehearsed theater of an election campaign so jack it has begun the fake election campaign has turned horribly real and one decided benefit uh, of that is that uh, all government advertising must end. Um, listeners will have endured every puff piece of government ads in recent times, but they must come to an end as the government enters into its caretaker phase, which is delightful news, uh, for particularly for, re- for regional viewers like myself and getting bombarded with them. Uh, but uh, the caretaker phase began when the, when the PM took, five, uh, took the short five-minute drive to Yarrawamla and asked the Governor-General to issue writs and dissolve the 46th Parliament. Now, it went off pretty well, as you'd expect, but hasn't always been the same, uh, has it, Jack? Take me back to 1983. Well, I love the theatre of the trip to Yarralumla. It's just a great way to start an election campaign. But it's never been more amusing than in 1983 when Malcolm Fraser uh, drove down to Yarralumla expecting to ask the Governor-General for an election and and anticipating that he would be fighting Bill Hayden. Um, And that was all very well. The Governor-General ticked off on it, said, that's okay, we can do an election. And by the time Malcolm got back to his office in Parliament House, he discovered his opponent was Bob Hawke. Yes, there was a fantastic Tanberg cartoon, wasn't there? The the trousers down, which is prophetic in a way, now that I think yes. about it. Um, <laughs> but, but Malcolm Fraser getting caught with the trousers down because he didn't have Bill Hayden to beat, but he had uh, Bob Hawke, and, of course, he got flogged. Bill Hayden probably would have beaten him, though, wouldn't he, Jack? Well, that's what Bill says. He said a drover's dog, drover's dog would have won that election, you know, yes. um, which was the, the, the nearest Bill came to, to bitterness about that, which was pretty good, really. 
Yeah, well, he became the Foreign Affairs Minister and then he became Governor General himself and uh, issued issued the writs himself, uh, peered out through the curtains and saw the uh, C-1 come through, come up the driveway. Yes, he Yes, uh, look, yeah, that, that was a very funny moment. Now, look, it is, of course, the Governor General just does his style, basically, and, uh, and if the Prime Minister says, uh, my advice is that uh, you dissolve the Parliament and issue writs for the next election, that's exactly what the Governor General does. Yes, sometimes there's a bit of backwards and forwards if it's an early election. But yes, yeah, in the end, the Governor General will um, will do what he's advised, and of course, or, this or, government or what she's advised, as the case may be. Yes, indeed. But uh, in this case, we have a government that has run its course, and uh, and it was only a matter of. Uh, uh, of, of uh, basically ticking off on all of that. We have a May election coming. And uh, we had 2019, Jack. It was the miracle, the Morrison miracle. Um, and, uh, and and every pundit around the place uh, had had opted otherwise. Indeed, the polling was pointing otherwise. So, so do we require another Morrison miracle? Are we going to get two? Was it a Morrison miracle or were the polls just wrong? Well, the, the poll, we'll talk about polling in a little while and why it can go wrong. But one of the, the, one of the effects of uh, the 2019 election was to drag a lot of uh, more Labor seats into that marginal territory. And marginal seat is defined by a, a margin on a two-party two preferred basis of less than 5%. Um, the coalition holds 14 marginal seats by that definition, and Labor uh, holds uh, 18. Um, uh, <clears throat> and um, uh, and that, that tells you a couple of things that can go wrong for Labor this time around, that, that the coalition might be able to pick up some seats. Um, and look, one seat that I'll identify right now, Solomon in the Northern Territory, where Warren Snowden, one of the veterans of Parliament, Labor... MP for, for Solomon, is retiring. And that puts that seat in play as far as I'm concerned. So um, uh, of the 18 that Labor hold by less than 5%, uh, nine of them are in New South Wales, uh, a lot of them in the regions, a lot of them in the outer suburbs, uh, four in Queensland, two in Western Australia, and uh, Victoria uh, has two as well, the ever-marginal uh, Karangamite and Dunkley. Uh, Karangamite in the Geelong area and Dunkley uh, in the eastern suburbs of uh, Melbourne. So that sort of might create a little bit of a buffer for, for Morrison to, if they, can pick up a, if they can pick up a few there, it means, uh, it means uh, Labor has to go uh, just that step further. In order to win, I must have started. Should have started this way. In order to win, Labor needs to gain eight to form government in its own right, eight seats, and it has one in the bag. Nominally, after a redistribution in Victoria, created the seat of Hawke after Bob in Melbourne's outer west, which uh, nominally it holds by about fourteen percent. So, uh, seven essentially to win. And everyone you lose is the point I'm trying to make. Uh, makes that makes that job even harder. Um, One wonders whether Bob Hawke would, would ever have visited that electorate. Well, it, <laughs> where, where it is, I mean, lovely part of the world. Um, 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 uh, on the fringes, sort of between Melbourne and Ballarat, uh, 
that sort of area. I mean, there just is, wouldn't have been is, too many houses in those days. Is there a race course there? Uh, well, Geelong. Um, yeah, there's a racetrack at Geelong. Well, I uh, suppose so, that's true, yeah. Race, yeah so, there would need to have been a race course or a golf course for Bob Hawke to have visited. Oh, there was very little development, of course. You know, it was, it was just this vast space between Hopper's Crossing and, and Werribee uh, on the road to Geelong. Uh, and so some of that is Hawke now, uh, which spreads out on, on sort of halfway to Ballarat. But, yes, a nominal labour hole. Mm. Um uh, the coalition has fourteen seats on on that on that sort of razor margin or the margin of uh, less than five percent. Queensland is four and includes uh, uh, that includes Peter Dutton's seat at Dixon, uh, Longman, Leichhardt, and Brisbane, Victoria, Chisholm, Casey, Higgins, and Deakin, uh, all Melbourne-based seats. Uh, all in the all in the east, aren't they? Casey Higgins, mm. yeah. Uh, two in New South Wales, Reed and Robertson. Uh, Robertson being on the central coast. Reed is a sort of what do we call it? Not inner west, west, I guess. Not outer mm. west. It's more west. It's right in the middle. Uh, and Tasmania, um, and there are sort of perpetual marginals coming through there. Bass and Braddon. And uh, one apiece in Western Australia, Swan, and South Australia, Boothby. Um, and uh, <coughs> polling in two of the Queensland marginals shows Labor making no inroads. So that's the thing. That's the thing. Um, when we do look at our polling, uh, uh, then we see the two-party preferred stuff very similar to 2019, Jack. Yeah, it is. Big margins, then 45-55, At this stage, that's correct, yes. Yeah. And it has yeah. been that way consistently for a while, hasn't it? Really, the, the, it the, the wheels started falling off for the coalition in polling, uh, going back to, I would say, around about the time of the vaccine rollout. Um, a little bit later than that, to be honest, but perhaps that was an impact of it. Um, but, uh, yeah, since then it's been... Uh, around about 47.53, 46.54, and most recently 45.55. The news poll released uh, uh, on the 4th of April, which, um, uh, uh, well, gives gives the coalition an extra point. They were down 45.55. Um, uh, the primary vote is plus two for the coalition, up to 38. Uh, Labor down three um, from um, Labor down three from uh, forty one down to thirty eight now, um, and that's the news poll. Ipsos, which is uh, published in the Fairfax papers, they still have it at forty five fifty five. Uh, and the other difference with news poll and Ipsos is Albanese leads preferred prime minister um, by one point. Uh, in news poll, um, uh, Morrison leads by one point. Does it matter? Preferred Prime Minister, does that matter as a polling item? No, not a great deal. Um, and indeed, the you know on, on those figures, you would expect Labor to succeed in the election, but historically, these swings are not uniform. Um, you've got to not just yeah. win the votes. You've got to win the win the votes in the right seats, in the right places. Yeah, that's that's what we that, that's what we want to sort of get to. You know that that we're going to look at all the sort of various ways to analyse the things and 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 two party preferred polling 
uh, is very limited in that respect. Um, I've just got, we- to ap- just got to apologise. If you hear some bells ringing in the background, Hong Kong's a very dangerous place to live <laughs> on. I'm just hoping that's just and a fire if- drill um, and that no one's coming to pick me up to take me to a government yeah. camp. How, how many floors are, are you up there? I'm, I'm, I'm up eight. <laughs> oh, eight. Yeah, well, let's yeah, look. Uh, if, if, if I see any smoke, I'll let you. Let you know, come through on the camera there. Uh, I'll let you know, and uh, you can dash out. Look, one of the things is preferred PM. Look, if you are PM, as Morrison is, you'd, you'd expect to be leading in that area. Yeah. Uh, where the when the opposition leader uh, passes the PM and he, and and remains uh, remains in front for a long period of time, I, that generally is a pretty bad sign for a sitting prime minister. Uh, I'd say that about um, um, preferred prime minister polling. Doesn't mean a lot except when that occurs, in my view. The other thing is the most, the most notable example of that was in two thousand and seven, where yeah. uh, where the, the moment that Kim Beasley was um, uh, sent to uh, the backbench, mm. um, and um, uh, Kevin Rudd and Julia Gillard were photographed walking down the hallway together. Uh, Labor got a uh, a lead from there, and there was nothing that Howard could do to shift it. Try as That's he right. Might. Um, yeah, that was. But, but we, we're not was, really quite in that situation here. That no, was just, no, no. So, so that, that was December two thousand and six to a December two thousand and seven election where Kevin Rudd led as preferred prime minister for an, for an entire twelve months. Yes. So yeah, it's in that it's in that can where it is long and sustained. Uh, yeah. Albanese leads. Uh, in Ipsos, is uh, by a point. He's a point down in news yeah. poll. There's not a lot to be made from yeah. that. It's, it's, thing, it's, it's not. It's not quite a 2006, 2007 situation. No, it's not at all. But but one thing you would say is that approval ratings of both are in the negative um, uh, of both Elbow and uh, Morrison. Uh, Elbow's uh, are down only a couple of points in the uh, approval versus disapproval ratings. Uh, while Scott Morrison's down minus 12 on that. So, uh, look, there are other polls, of course, and um, Essential Poll, uh, look, I did uh, did have a look at their figures. They're similar to, to, to what we've been quoting here. Uh, I did notice that essentialvision.com.au, if you want to have a look at more detailed demographic an- analysis, they do uh, they do very good detailed demographic analysis, Essential Poll. Um, you have to subscribe, but it's free. Uh, and just go to essentialvision.com.au and have a look and you'll make all that polling available to you. They publish in The Guardian, Ipsos in the Australian Financial Review, and, of course, the News Poll, news poll is published in The Australian. I, we were talking a little bit before about how polls can get things wrong, and clearly they did in 2019. Um, uh, there are difficulties in polling these days. The, the, well, it was, it was a lot easier when everyone had a landline and everyone sat at home watching yeah. the same television station every night. Yeah. Um, you, you knew you could call them on the landline and, um, and get an answer, but those days are all gone. Now what, what we've got with um, what we've got with uh, Ipsos and Newspol and uh, Essential Poll uh, does do a little uh, does do a fair bit of um, internet polling as well, um, but it's reliable stuff. It's not you know the sort of junk um, sort of stuff you sometimes see in the newspapers, um, but it tends to be reliable. Uh, 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 the the 
the telephone polers are bending over backwards to increase their base of mobile phone um, uh, respondents and, uh, and, 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 and getting that poll done that way. Yes, it used to be much easier, but no one's going to. I've got a landline, but not too many people. Are, not too many people in in, uh, in, in the big cities do. Um, uh, and then you've got sort of face to face polling, which is Morgan Poll does a face to face interview. So it's that's that that comes with some issues. It tends, I would think, the the Morgan Poll tends to have a little bit of a bias towards Labor, um, and I think that. That there are issues generally with face-to-face polling, particularly when you've got someone who might be a little bit on the nose in terms of a candidate, and not someone who might um, who, who who poll respondents might not say put their hands up to uh, on a face-to-face interview and say they're going to vote for maybe like Donald Trump. Yeah? Well, that, that was certainly the case in the in, in the in that presidential election. People just didn't want to tell the pollsters they were going to vote for Trump, and they did. Um, and there's history of this going right back to the uh, in the seventies in California, where there was an unpopular candidate, I think, for mayor of LA, um, and um, and people just weren't prepared. People just weren't prepared to say in public that they were going to vote for him, and in fact they did when they got in the booth. <laughs> yeah, so there are always those sorts of issues that can arise more generally in polling. One of the criticisms of the polling comes... Particularly happens when the media are saying, as they are at the moment, that ScoMo's finished. Uh, and, um, and, uh, and and if that, that's the case, people are a bit reluctant to say, well, I'm going to vote for him. Yeah, look, that might be the case. It might... Uh, might explain his very well, his negative twelve uh, approval rating. Um, one thing that the, that the polling companies were criticised about was uh, they they had underestimated the other vote. Now yeah. the other vote it depends on which polling company you're looking at, but the other vote, as defined by um, News Poll, is that vote not Labor, not Coalition, uh, not Fon, not um, uh, not the Greens, uh, and uh, as of fairly recently, uh, not UAP. They're now including UAP as a separate sector, and then they've got so the primary vote uh, in <coughs> in news poll has this sort of block of about ten percent um, of other votes. Now uh, that sounds sort of unscientific when you look at it and it was explained to me by the news poll people that they had changed their methodology so you might in your seat be asked who do you vote for Labor, Liberal, Green, Fon or other now other could mean anything and so a news poll now do this and I think that they're, they're polling on certainly that other vote is pretty right where there is an independent where there has been an independent or a UAP candidate, for example, they will ask the, the, the they will ask the respondent uh, whether they would vote for that party or that individual again, or or, or whether they vote for not not again, whether they vote for them uh, this time around. So they're getting yeah. a bit more sophisticated, Jack. Just in yeah, terms well, of, it's a constant battle to try and keep up with the changing nature of society and try yeah. and make the polling work. And that, I'm sure they're doing their best. I mean, they are obviously pretty embarrassed last time. So, Well, News Poll just 
the most recent one. Greens, 10% of the primary. Uh, FON, 3. Uh, UAP, 3. And 10% other. So that would include some of these independents. We'll talk about them in a little mm. while. 10% for the Greens, Jack. Sounds a bit high to me. In fact, yeah. they picked up 2% of their vote from... You would you would imagine Labor went Labor's primary vote went down two percent and uh, and and the Greens went up two percent so a little bit of uh, unhappiness there from Labor went further to the left um, yeah so <coughs> uh, I would think ten percent's a little bit high for the Greens I reckon eight I reckon eight's about their number anyway we'll keep an eye on the polls and what shifts there are to make. Um, but yes, on a two-party preferred basis, that's really just skimming, um, uh, skimming what you might expect the result to be, uh, and and it will be reflected also in the, in the markets. But the markets can throw up some really interesting results. So the, the markets have, and we're talking about the betting markets now. Labor at a dollar thirty-two, uh, coalition at three dollars. Uh, there's a separate bet where there's a hung parliament at $3.10 uh, and a straight majority either way. That's Labor or uh, Coalition at $1.35. So they're saying the hung parliament, early days, hung parliament is a possibility, um, but Labor firm favourites at $1.32. They haven't, of course, got their, their, independent, of their individual seat betting organised yet. That'll come very soon, and we'll have a look at that. Um, I looked at uh, that stuff in 2019. There was a head-to-head stuff that was uh, virtually... Um, you could ignore it. I mean, Labor got down to $1.08 uh, and still managed to lose $1.08. In fact, I think another, one of the big agency sports bet actually paid out on the Friday before the pile. Um, but what I did start looking at, and I was keeping detailed, you know... Um, um, detailed notes on on markets changing in, in individual seats and what we started seeing there were some profound shifts in Tasmania and some profound shifts in the betting in, in Queensland so we'll be doing that again we'll do that again for this for this podcast and that will give you an idea that perhaps things aren't going quite as well as that uh, two-party preferred uh, polling indicates that in individual seats the seats that labor needs to win, they're not travelling all that well, but well, we'll see. But the betting markets, I think, tend to show those those changes uh, much more uh, much more easily. Though you can you can figure them out much more easily than perhaps polling will show you. I think that's right. Yeah, I think they're both good tools, but you need to need to use them both together. Yeah, the individual seat stuff really can be interesting. So when you know what I do is develop a list of all of Australia's marginals. And then just note their prices and, and note their price fluctuations. And really, in 2019, it did show uh, really uh, uh, the coalition powering back uh, in in the Queensland marginals that Labor needed to get. We'll see if it's the same thing this time around. Now, one thing we have a, a, an election campaign, and we'll have to deal with the dreary business of hard hats and high vis as our political leaders wander the country uh, doing things they're not paid to do, um, one has to ask, in these days of, of pre-poll voting, a lot of pre-poll voting, um, 
does a campaign matter? Well, I think the reason they do the hard hats and high vis is just to, particularly if you're if you're Anthony Albanese, what you want to do is to um, make sure people recognise you and know who you are, uh, and that's the hard job as a as an opposition leader is to get a brand. Everyone knows who the prime minister is pretty much, but they don't always know who the opposition leader is. So um, uh, you just need to be out there. It's it's a, you know, what we call these days a branding exercise. Yeah, and, and these days of pre-polling, I mean, you know, I, I, my view on pre-polling is, you know, you, you should make it as easy as you possibly can to let, let people have a vote. And they don't want to queue up. They, you know, their, their, their Saturdays are pretty busy or a particular Saturday mm. is going to be a busy one. Allow them to, to vote uh, up to, I think, 14 days ahead of the poll now. And what we saw with... And in COVID, I suppose you'd say it was late COVID period with the New South Wales by-elections, was that about 50% of people were pre-polling. Yeah, I, um, like the tradi- I like the traditional approach, you know, going down to your local primary school or uh, town hall or whatever and lining up. sausage? Well, that's, that's a very new thing. It used to be, a, um, when I was a young fellow, it was always the school... Uh, school committee selling uh, cakes and lemingtons. Yeah, you know, still uh, do, still front, do at my polling front, booth. At the front. Um, uh, and I like that and I like the idea of counting on the spot on the night uh, with scrutineers in there for the part, for the various political parties. I, I'm, a, I'm absolutely a traditionalist on that. Yes. Um, but overall, I think it doesn't affect a, a campaign that much. Yes, obviously, you're having you know, up to up to half. It might not be quite as many of that in a federal election, but up to half pre-polling. Um, but also, what we saw in 2019 is that a campaign does matter because if it if people had to cast their votes at the start of it, all of them at the start of it rather than the end of it, then uh, Labor probably would have won quite by quite a handy margin. Um, so a campaign gives the opportunity for a side that's behind to uh, to come back, and a side that's in front to lose their way. Oh, I think that happened in the in the election before that. Um, uh, I think Malcolm Fraser, uh, Malcolm, Malcolm Turnbull lost. Mate. Yeah, Malcolm Malcolm Turnbull, sorry, uh, yeah. lost ground the longer, and he had a very long campaign. And the longer it went on, the more ground he lost. Yeah, look, that's the other thing. I mean, basically, we've he got... Was, he was like that racehorse who got to the front too early at Flemington. That's a long <laughs> straight. And um, uh, and he was just going up and down in the one spot well, by the time the... By the time Mooney they got Valley to the up past. the hill. Up yeah, the hill at Mooney yeah, Valley. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. So, look, that, that's absolutely right. And, and you know, those sort of eight-week campaigns are big, big no-nos because there's a lot of money spent too. Uh, yeah. A lot of money. And, and, looking and, and the more they got a good look at Malcolm, the less they liked him. Well, I think Malcolm had to, to uh, write the cheque too, didn't he, for um, <coughs> for for the campaign as well because they run out of money. So a long, a long election campaign, I think it bothers voters too because they're getting this constant media uh, coverage of, you know, the hard hats and, and high-vis sort of stuff day in, day out. It gets boring. It gets a bit boring. If, if, if there's really nothing going on in a campaign, there's no particular scandal, or, uh, uh, <clears throat> no uh, no major issue uh, uh, sort of sh- uh, overshadowing or, or casting a shadow over 
over over the two parties, and election campaigns can become very tedious affairs. As far as they the certainly can, concerned. they certainly can. So we yeah we agree that uh, that that uh, I suppose we agree <laughs> maybe you don't that that pre polling is is good to give people an opportunity to to cast their vote without too much inconvenience. But we also do love the the festival of democracy where we can get down and uh, have a uh, sausage and bread. And and I do actually do this. I'll have a good look at the cakes. You've got to get there early. Uh, yeah. No good turning up at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, a bit late by then. Um, yeah. Yes. Um, so, uh, Jack, how often do we change governments? It, it, look, Look, let me let me let me let me rephrase that question. It's not how often do we change prime ministers because we do that when there's you know every other year on a Wednesday around lunchtime generally. Yep. Um, but how often do we change governments in this country? And the answer is not that often. This this current mob, the Morrison mob, uh, originally in Tony Abbott form and then Malcolm Turnbull form, they're looking at their fourth term in office. That's well, quite, he, well let's awesome. go back to the start of your memory. You, you tell me your first election you can remember is 1972. 72, yeah. yeah. I, look, so, I, I, I'm old enough to remember 69, but I just have no memory of it. Yeah. That was the Don's Party election, 69, when Goff could have won but just didn't get enough votes. I think they had I think they had more than 50 of the, um, of the two-party preferred, but uh, they just didn't win them where they counted, and they had to wait to seventy-two, and that was that's my first memory of it, and that was a tumultuous election. So since then, we've changed governments in election in 72, 75, 83, 96, 2007, and twenty thirteen. So not very often. Not very one, often. One thing about become one thing about being prime minister in Australia is that. It's, it's a bit like being an AFL coach. It's not a job that you can expect to retire from at a time of your own choosing. <laughs> the last Australian Prime Minister who managed to do that was Bob Menzies, and I think that was in 1966. Yes. So you hadn't even started school, I don't think. That's the, when just, the last just Australian... Did, but I was just, a very advanced child. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, just started school when the, the last Australian Prime Minister was able to retire of his own choosing. Um, Look, he'd been threatening uh, to do it for a very long time and they, he had. They, they gave him one more election. But anyway, yes, go on. So since then, McMahon, Whitlam, Fraser, Keating, Howard, Rudd have been defeated in the party room um, and... Um, have, have, have been defeated in election, and Gorton, Hawke, Rudd, Gillard, Abbott, Turnbull, um, all defeated in their own party room. Uh, and um, I suppose Holt might have retired at his time of his own choosing, did he? Or did he just go for a swim when it was a bit rough? Well, it depends. It depends <laughs> if you go for the Chinese sub theory or, <laughs> or if just a really dumb place to go for a swim theory, which is um, which is the one I go with. So it was just kind of like, um, yeah. yeah I'm, pretty sure, I'm pretty sure it was a Chinese sub, really. You know, I mean, well, yeah, yeah. Well, look, we're going to have to we're going to have to differ about that. And uh, and if you're if you're right, of course, Harold will will reappear at some point. <laughs> will reappear, yeah. possibly possibly as a property developer um, in, in Sydney with some Chinese money behind it. The, the real story for this upcoming election is that how few opposition leaders have actually won an election. Yeah. And the last... And it's, about, it's about half. 
Mm. And and what we saw in the most recent, uh, well, no, not the most recent, the second most recent, uh, I was thinking of Kevin Rudd. And Kevin Rudd did the small target. It was the Me Too stuff. Whatever John Howard said, he he was all for. He just refused to be wedged. And it would seem that Labor is playing, Labor under Albanese is playing a very similar game. I think I really dislike that small target stuff and, and every every political party wanting to form government, wanting to become, wanting to win an election, will do the same thing. And it's just a shame because once they get there, they should be hamstrung by what they can do and can't do, you know, what they have and haven't promised. I mean, carbon taxes and all that sort of stuff. The, because you'll get punished by voters. So, hey, we didn't, you didn't tell us you were going to do this. And that means that, you know, the small target thing means that reform and, you know, economic reform and tax reform and these sorts of things become too hard. I think that's one of the problems with the small target strategy. But having said that, when Shorten did the big target, did the bigger target in 2019, he got smashed. He did. He did indeed. Um Hard to know how that's going to go, um, uh, the, the small target approach in these circumstances. Um, I think Labor's bigger problem than that is how does it manage to appeal to the traditional Labor seats, in the traditional Labor seats, those marginal seats you talked about, or the seats that have become marginal for Labor, most of them are full of uh, tradesmen, um, uh, you know, working people, uh, public servants, and also full of um, large migrant communities in some cases with traditional conservative social views. And Labor has struggled to maintain its vote in those t- communities, which used to be Labor voters pretty much consistently. Well, a demographic breakdown of, of news poll over the last three months was published a couple of weeks ago and that was, you know, that what they called uh, uh, Morrison's miracle workers and we're talking tradies and we're talking it's sometimes migrants, often in, often in many cases migrants. Uh, those people seem to have dropped off uh, the government uh, and, uh, and so... Uh, there are some issues there. I mean, when we're talking about states, we often get states where elections will be won. We often do get, and for very good reason, we do get obsessed about Queensland. But the coalition has nine seats in New South Wales that are on that are, that Labor would think are winnable, and on the basis of the New South Wales by-election, where the uh, seat of um, 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 uh, Gladys Berejiklian's seat. No, yes. not Gladys's seat. We'll get to the Indies in a minute. But no, in in um, uh, so it, 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 the coalition thought it had Gilmore in the bag. Uh, they've got the former state uh, uh, transport minister, former state treasurer, in there as their candidate after uh, after parachuting uh, uh, after parachuting Warren Mundine into the seat last time, and that was a real. And that was a bit of a disaster. It thinks it it, it it thinks it can now hang on in Gilmore. But the by-election in Bega, which takes up a fair bit of the sort of northern part of Bega, Gilmore takes up a fair bit of the northern part, 
but they had they had a smashing. You know, that was a big that was a thirteen percent swing. I know state by elections don't necessarily translate to Australian federal election. But when we look at some of these regions, you know, and, and the only thing we've we've got to go on is is state polling and, and polling, state by election polling, there were some big, big shifts there. And then we've got some of these real big concerns for for the Liberal Party uh, in particular these independent seats in, that where they can lose blue ribbons. And we, we want to talk about them. So sometimes called the climate change, it's climate change 200. Um, it's, um, it's, it's, it's a force that I started picking up in the 2016 state uh, election in Victoria where Brighton, Hawthorne and Kew uh, were my massive swings against uh, sitting uh, Liberal members. Uh, and they've got this problem coming up in the federal election now where you've got uh, uh, the first, the Wentworth is... is, um, uh, is Josh Frydenberg's seat. Yeah, Frydenberg's seat, Kuyong, uh, one of the one of the seats that's barely grabbed any attention, McKellar from a bishop's old seat now held by Jason Felisky. I'll tell you that is definitely in play on the internal polling that I've seen. Uh, <coughs> uh, Zali Stegel looks like she'll hold on in Warringah, and that's the point. So if you start losing these seats, there are three independents in the parliament now, uh, Wilkie and Denison. Tasmania, Helen Haynes in Indo, which has been an independent seat now for a long time, so was Denison, and Zali Stegall in Warringah. Once you lose them, and they and the coalition have lost, well, perhaps not Denison, but uh, but Indo and and Warringah. Once you lose them, it's really hard to get them back. And and and, and if you do, you know, look, I'll tell you right now that that, uh, that Josh Frydenberg won't be able to be doing a lot of national campaigning because he will have to work on the ground hard in Kuyong just to hold that seat. Uh, there's uh, Zoe Daniel is the independent candidate in Goldstein uh, and every chance as well. But from some people I know are involved in this caper, uh, actually representing the Indies, they're, they're saying, look, we don't think, we may not win any. We're not, we may not win any. The, the campaign has just begun. But polling that we've got pre election campaign announced shows that McKellar's in play, Kuyong's in play, Goldstein's in play, Warringah will probably be held uh, and um, oh, there's one other. There's one other that I can't think of. And the, the, yeah. my point, of, point about this is you've got the coalition government being attacked, let's say, from the centre. I mean, you, you might want to say, oh, they're all lefties and all that sort of stuff. I don't, I don't really buy that. The, 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 the candidates, the independent candidates showing up in these, uh, showing up in these uh, blue ribbon seats, the one I mentioned was North Sydney, but that's not really in play, I don't think. Um, and the one I forgot to mention. They're, they're the sort of candidates the Liberal Party would be proud to have when the Liberal Party was behaving normally, the New South Wales branch of the Liberal Party was behaving normally. Mm. The point is that they go down, they won't get them back. And, and it could be very, very serious blow for the Liberal Party if they lose three or four of their blue ribbon seats, because that's so many more marginals that you got to win next time around. Um, 
and it doesn't seem that, that, that they've learned anything. They've put, uh, uh, put a, a hard right candidate in against Ali Stegall. Um, and, um, yeah, so it, it, overall the issue is that the coalition is being attacked by the left, as you'd expect, from, from Labor, from a centre, from these independent from these independent uh, uh, candidates, most, all of them women, and from the right, from FON and UAP. And the only place they seem to be making a little bit of headway is in the right, is on the right. It'll be interesting to see. Indeed it will. Now, look, um, we're going to wrap up our first show uh, right now. Oh, uh, <coughs> that's a wrap for our first episode of Hard Hats and High Viz. So I'm taking the fluoro off, Jack. Get that helmet off your head, unless there is a fire, because there was a lot of noise there. Um, unless there is a fire, um, keep the hard hat on if there is. Uh, just in case you have to make your way down, uh, what, 16 flights of stairs. Uh, you'll need well, that. It, 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 it could be one of the one of the candidates out there in a hard, hard hat and a high vis um, uh, <laughs> pretending to be a fireman. Building, building the scaffolding. Scott uh, holding the hose. You know, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, next week, next, week, next week we should start on the big issues. And, and, um, and I was amused on Twitter uh, this week. Um, the only reason I will look, look at Twitter is for amusement. Barry Cassidy, the, uh, the former uh, compere of um, uh, of insiders and outs- yes. and, and offsiders, and, yeah. and former, former press secretary for Bob Hawke as well, Bob Hawke. Prime Minister Bob Hawke. Um, he was getting stuck into a, a, a little bit of an argument with someone and, and talking about the the Morrison government, and his parting comment was, this is the election when climate change finally arrives as an issue and they don't see it. There there, there was a little bit of an element of the boy who cried wolf about that, I thought. (laughs) Barry's been saying this is the the issue this time and time and time again, but this time he really means it. Well, it probably is in many in many electorates, and those are blue ribbon uh, blue ribbon yep. uh, liberal electorates, and that is a big problem for for the libs. As I would think, Labor don't want it to be a big uh, election campaign issue because all of a sudden, all of a sudden, it will mean they have to speak with forked tongue, and then it would, or at least with tongue uh, with a tongue in the cheek. Uh, in one on one side of the cheek in those inner suburban seats and then popping up to regional Queensland to put the tongue on the other side of the cheek. And for our listeners who like a bit of entertainment, uh, make sure you catch next week's episode in particular because if you like a bit of disagreement, climate change is going to be plenty. Well, it, <laughs> <laughs> I, because I, I lack the gift of faith. I was raised Catholic, and that's how I prefer to think of it. I lack the gift of faith in the whole thing. So, uh, well, look, you are you, you are an eastern suburbs. You were an eastern suburbs resident, um, <laughs> so you may uh, you may be. Uh, you may have to, you you might still make a choice between Dave Sharma and the independent candidate there. Well, I, uh, I can I can disclose that for some uh, for some bureaucratic um, mix up, I am no longer on the electoral roll, so I'm unable to vote. Uh, oh wow! Uh, uh, so, no, which, is, which, 
which, so you, which, you, which, 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 which means that whoever whoever's the Labor candidate who's not going to win in Whitworth um, uh, won't be getting my vote as they otherwise would. Yeah. This is the Peter Garrett approach, by the way. You yeah. got there, Jack. Just like I was an independent, I was off the roll. I don't know what quite what happened, but now I'm a Lambert candidate. Um, yeah. yeah. So look. One, one thing we are going to look at next week is very funny scripted moments of, of election campaigns that fell apart. I've uh, got a few stories to tell there about how campaigning was just so rigorously controlled and rehearsed and practised and planned, how it can just all fall apart in seconds and become very, very funny. So that's one we're going to have a look at for next week. We'll have polling, we'll have betting, We'll have all sorts of things to look at, and we might even talk about climate change if Jack can just can control himself for a moment. <laughs> we will. See so, so you later, listeners. Cheers.